Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and for today's episode, I'm actually going to be the guest. I am sharing with you an episode that I did on the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Wittergrad. It was live-streamed a couple months ago, summer of 2022, and we talked about the culture war and a whole host of other Christian libertarian-related topics. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So tonight, I'm excited to have Doug Stewart from the Libertarian Christian Institute. Doug, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm, you know, (laughs) every day is an adventure. The end of the day, right? It seems cliche to say that having four kids, like bedtime would be hard, but like it's even harder than I think people would realize it is sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Every day with kids is a, it's always like something new. You know what I mean? It's just like a wife calls in the middle of work and just like, you know, like, all right, what did the kids do this time? And so today was uh, jumping off of the couch into a pillow fort they made. And the other day it was pretending that the steps were uh, a slide. And it's <laughs> it's, a, it's cool. a great time, but it's also an exhausting time. So part of yeah. why we had to reschedule a couple of times. But I'm glad to have you on yeah. now. So I've had Carrie on the show before, who was a contributor and part of LCI. But... Never had you on before and never really done an episode where I kind of talked about, you know, asked questions and talked about the Libertarian Christian Institute. So I thought we would start there. Just kind of, if you could give a little bit of introduction to yourself, for starters, and then maybe a general overview of what the Libertarian Christian Institute is and who founded it and what it was founded for. And then we can, you know, dive into the conversation about that. Yeah, well, so yeah, I'm Doug and I'm the CEO of the Libertarian Christian Institute. And I've been involved with LCI since it started in 2015. But even before that, it was just libertarianchristians.com. We used to call it LCC and sort of the tradition of calling lourockwell.com LRC. And that was just the, you know, the Austrian Mises circles were calling things by like three letter initials, you know, website. So anyway, LCC was libertarianchristians.com. And at some point, Norman Horn, whose blog it was, started in 2008, he was encouraged to start a nonprofit so he could raise funds to begin promoting this as an institute or as a nonprofit in a different way than just a personal blog that was very, very well done and very you know, well, well written academically and you know, philosophically and theologically. So in 2015, the IRS approved the nonprofit status for a Libertarian Christian Institute in two weeks, which is nothing short of a miracle. Because anybody, I mean, obviously now the IRS takes long for everything because everything, you know, after the pandemic. But back then it was just still like, oh, yeah, it's going to take you a while. All of a sudden, two weeks later, we we get it in the mail. We're like, well, that was nice. So uh, we consider that a blessing, I suppose. So since 2015, we've had a board and I've been on that board. And in 2018, I believe, I kind of lose track because I've just been involved. In 2018, I became the CEO, which basically means I'm in charge of making sure we keep things rolling in content. We're all doing this as our labor of love slash part-time work. And so we want to see it thrive. And so we, we put our hearts and passion behind it. So what is that? 
what we do is we promote the Christian case for a free society. And by we do that through equipping Christians to make the Christian case for a free society. There are all kinds of materials out there written by Christians, written by non-Christians that support the idea of a free society through libertarianism, anarchism, Christian anarchism. And there are a lot of Christians out there who say, hey, this looks really great, but how do I make this cohere with my Christian faith? Some people, you know, it clicks pretty much right away and they're like, oh yeah, this makes complete sense. This doesn't seem to be in contradiction, but other people are like, yeah, but wait, what about this verse? What about that verse? What about Romans 13? Things like that. And so what we do have is a, we have my avatar, by the way. But my Romans 13. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is so it's good. such a meme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, uh, but people want to know, like, how do we make this consistent? And they just have lots and lots of questions. And so we've written, you know, hundreds of articles on these topics but there was never really a single Christian source of, I don't want to say marrying the two, but basically discussing the intersection of faith and freedom in a way that wasn't like right-leaning, sort of the whole like America, you know, freedom kind of people. You have those out there. There's plenty of people writing that way, but they're not libertarian. And they're also really, you know, kind of probably more Christian nationalists than anything. So we exist in the space where Christians can see that there's a consistent ethic of Christian political thought, and that is libertarianism. So one of the questions that I'm sure, I mean, it comes to my mind, so yeah. I'd be curious if something that gets pressed to you guys on a somewhat common basis, but what would you respond to if someone asked, well, are you just reading libertarianism into the text? Because sometimes, mm. and like I struggle to come up with like the best framework, and I, I kind of saw you... Um, trying to come up with the best way to put it as well. Like my instinct is sort of like, I don't necessarily want to say that overstate the case. I don't want to say you're not a real Christian if you're not a libertarian. Mm. I don't want to say that if you go into the Bible that you'll find, you know, excerpts that are basically, you know, Austrian economics or that are, you know, like the same as the anatomy of the state by Murray Rothbard. Or it's like, it's like, I don't want to necessarily say that the Bible is like an explicit libertarian document. But when you phrase it as, well, I'm just trying to show how these two are connected or compatible, something that I get often get asked is, how do you account for the possibility that you're not just reading something like a political yeah. worldview outside the text and, and then filtering it through that? So in seeing that, that's you know something you guys yeah. primarily seek out to do. How would you address that question if it was posed to you? That's a really important question. And I think a lot of libertarian Christians seem to get it wrong. I have an article on libertarianchristians.com called Jesus Wasn't a Libertarian, But He's Glad I Am. And I really think it's important to distinguish between what we're doing in the modern world, what we're doing in our context is creating a philosophy that answers the question like, when is it appropriate for violence, right? Or when is violence appropriate? So there's these modern questions that we have and what's difficult, no matter what these questions are, whether it's about salvation, justification, you know, morals, behavior, all kinds of things. We have the questions in our 21st century and well, in 20th and so forth. But like in our day, we have our questions and we want to go to the scriptures and we believe the scriptures are authoritative and we believe that God is speaking through his spirit, through the scriptures so that we can be informed on how to live Christianly. All right. So you have to answer that question and how does that result, right? So when you look at the scripture, I don't see anything that is... Now, obviously, there's those things that are like, oh, hey, there's this one verse, and we have to deal with that and so forth. But 
I don't see anything in scripture that sort of forbids or makes me think, wow, I really shouldn't let other people be free. On, on the converse, like, wow, Christians really need to be in the business of telling other people how to live by force, right? We can tell other people about how to live and what's the best way to live a fulfilled life and have, you know, to flourish as a human. But we need to do that through persuasion, not coercion. And so you have these threads throughout the scripture that don't tell us to be libertarian, but the libertarian impulse that I'm attracted to in the scripture is the anti-imperial theme. The I will obey God rather than Caesar, rather than Nebuchadnezzar, rather than whoever the, the authority of the state is. In those times, they're not the same as states in today's world, but they're very similar enough that basically we're going to follow Christ. You know, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Christ is King. And then you have in the Old Testament, you have, you know, Yahweh is the Lord and not, you know, whatever King or, yeah, I guess it's King in those times. So when you look at the scripture, I don't think it's a matter of reading libertarianism into it. And I think a lot of people actually make that mistake of reading it into it and they look for verses that sort of lean toward like saying things about people being free. And those are all fine and good, but we have to be really careful not to proof text things simply because that verse sounds like it's libertarian. Now, clearly, if you want to have a conversation with people and you need to sort of have shorthand verses and, you know, things that come to mind, you could certainly bring those up. But real hard work at becoming a Christian libertarian is really more about being steeped in biblical doctrine of anti-imperialism, pacifism, which we can sort of dive into. When I use that word, a lot of people might not know what I mean, or they might think they know what I mean, and nonviolence. So there's just a lot in the scripture that like basically says you can't tell other people what to do at the force of a gun or at the force of the sword. And there's a lot of talk about human flourishing and Maybe you could even say the common good. I'm not really afraid of that phrase too much, although it's been you know, sort of narrowed down into a particular way of thinking about politics. So when we see the idea of human flourishing and you read kingdom of God as the eternal life that we can have here and now if we follow Christ, none of that involved Rome, none of that involved the state. And you can use modern day economics and the last 200 years especially to say, oh my goodness, we know how everybody can flourish. We've got to work it out over time. There's still people left behind, if you will. There's still people at the bottom of the ladder, although I guess it's always the case, or you know, the bottom. But when everybody is flourishing the way we have in the world over the last 200 years, we've got a way of doing that is not contrary to the scriptures, although there are bad actors in that. But we know how to flourish as humans and we can get there. So I don't know. Yeah, like I keep talking about this, but a lot of people do read libertarianism back into the scriptures. And I think that's just sort of false. And well, a lot of times, even I though feel they're like, good, good hearted. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times the tendency is for a lot of Christian libertarians, I think, especially the ones who are more on the anarchist side of the table, which mm -hmm. I would identify with as well. Sure. There does seem to be a tendency, unfortunately, to read the libertarian anarchist mindsets and beliefs into the scripture to a point that they'll actually just discount large <laughs> large swaths of scripture because they mm. don't think there's a good answer for particular, you know, whether it's like Romans 13 or whether it's mm -hmm. wars in the Old Testament, whether it's, you know what I mean? So yeah. th that is certainly something I'm always cautious of. But I agree with what you're saying. I do think that 
it's possible to just read the Bible from like a start to finish narrative zoomed out view and just see the compatibility right away. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are countless examples like you brought up, like such as the namesake of my podcast, <laughs> Daniel 3. I always inevitably, because of my age, I'm 30, but I, I grew up in the 90s. So I always think back to the VeggieTales episode mm-hmm. of the yeah. uh, Rad Shack and Benny. And the, yeah, uh, yeah. it was the chocolate bunny. But so even though it's not, it's like, it's close enough to the actual story, but it's a little bit different. But yeah, so you have that, you have Moses defying Pharaoh, you have, you know, Daniel the lion's den, you know, so many examples, you know, even in the New Testament, I mean, the apostles didn't submit to <laughs> state authorities that in many occasions and often ended up yeah you know, in jail or dying at the hands of, of yeah. state authorities. Yeah. So there, I do think, and I don't want to get into it right now, I do think there's a, a bit of a balancing act there, you know, because I, I think there's much in the Bible, especially I think in things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and things that yeah. Paul says that sort of like our response to oppression and to those who persecute us. And I think that we are supposed to, insofar as we are capable of doing it, turn the other cheek and sometimes have a attitude of submitting to those who do evil and not in an act of like making the evil that they do normative or good, but just Mm -hmm. to say that this is the Christ-like response to this evil. And that can be difficult. I think the problem is sometimes people, well, what do you think about this? Like, I think the problem I see is that people want the answers to be simple. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. and it's, and if you try to introduce a more, I want the answers to be you know, simple, man. What about you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I do too. I, I guess I should say, I, yeah. but I think there's a tendency for people to want to go with the, I don't know, simplest explanation possible, one that doesn't require them to, yeah. to do any more critical analysis. So it's a tough balancing act, though, for sure. And I, I do yeah. agree that the scripture is authoritative and we shouldn't seek to undermine the scriptures with any political leanings we have. What would you say, um, you know, LCI, the makeup is of the people involved, theologically speaking? Is it how, like how big of a tent yeah, is it? Do you right. have a particular theological bend or do you have a little bit of diversity there? Yeah, no, there's plenty of diversity. I want to comment though on what you were just saying about simple answers. It brought to my mind the way in which we approach scripture. It was sort of determine why we look for simple answers. And, you know, I can give an example here. We think of authority in a certain type of way in our modern context, and we have to sort of rethink what that looks like in in the biblical text and in, you know, the way God has worked throughout history, especially in biblical history. We live, most U.S. Christians, and even people outside, we live under constitutions and laws that are sort of written down and codified. And so when we think of authority, we think of like, oh, well, you know, we're all under the authority of the constitution or we're all under the authority of the people sort of upholding the constitution. And so this word authority, people just have this often, I shouldn't say everybody, but often people have this mode, Christians have the mode of looking toward an authority in the same way they see the constitution. And the Bible is not the constitution. It is not like the Constitution in its form. You and I know, and I'm pretty sure most of your listeners and people who you know listen to LCI know that the Bible is written over at least 1,500 years by, I don't know how many authors, at least I think it was like 40 or 50 authors, and in different genres, different times, a couple languages. There's all kinds of things. And the way in which the canon was created was, it wasn't like, okay, 
hey guys, let's just, hey, we're going to count up these books. Up, oh, these are it. Like it was a process. And so those things came about in a certain way. And God still chooses to use these texts as authoritative for the rest of history up and through now and beyond, of course. And so what does that mean? Well, it might mean we don't think of the Bible like a constitution, in which case, you know, we pull out our pocket constitutions. You know, I might have, I probably have one here on on my bookshelf. We pull out our pocket constitutions and we read this section and it says, you know, Congress shall make no law, abridging the freedom of speech. All right, that's simple. Congress will make sure no law. All right, now you open up your Bible and you go to this other verse and it sounds similar. It's like, you know, um, gosh, I, I just want to randomly pull a verse, but I need to think of something specific. But in any case, honor the emperor, right? Or, you know, uh, every, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And it's like, look, it says right there in the Bible, be subject to the governing authorities. And obviously I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but it really is what people do. Yeah, um, And so the simple way we think about like what is authority can help us sort of only think of how do I read the scripture in a certain way? I mean, nobody takes into account that, not nobody, a lot of times we forget to take into account things in the Old Testament where there were people writing those books that were somewhat favorable to the kingship of David and others who were not. And so you have to make those wrestle with one another. You asked me a question about LCI and our diversity. I didn't know, if, <laughs> but I had all those things in my head. I wonder no, that's fine. And it's an interesting road to go down, and I, I don't want to spend too much time in it, but a little tangent, a little thread you're pulling at there is an interesting one because it kind of dives into, which then relates to the question that I did ask, but it kind of pertains to, you know, I guess, how you view the Bible. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, I, although I don't really have a strict adherence to any one denomination or theological bend, I tend to find myself in alignment more often than not with a bit of a like reformed or neo-Calvinist theological perspective. And I think though that Christians of all stripes and flavors tend to forget though that like the Bible is a collection of, as you mentioned, different books written by different authors in different times, different languages. And it does constitute something as a narrative. And it's sort of like to take any part of that narrative in complete isolation is sort of to distort the words of God yeah, yeah. in a way. I mean, and to distort the meaning of what's being said. I mean, if you went and pulled out a single line from like your favorite book or movie, you know, I'm trying to think of an example now. Like if sure. you went to say like Star Wars episode five and just pulled out the line where Luke says, you killed my father. And you just look at it, like, look, this is evidence that Darth Vader killed Luke's father. And it's like, that's it. And you go around the internet and and you're like, proclaiming that to be true. It's like, well, maybe you didn't read or watch that narrative the whole way through. You know what I mean? And sometimes I feel like people do that with the Bible. It's like they they just like, you know, it's and people do this with everything, not just the Bible. It's let me go to Google and let me find an excerpt from whatever I can find that justifies my position so I can win this Twitter or Facebook argument and not not have a more comprehensive understanding of what's being spoken about. And I wouldn't say all, but definitely I think a lot of the arguments against a position that the Bible and Christianity, broadly speaking, if taken consistently, would promote a political view that is at least something akin to libertarianism. I think the people who oppose that don't take the passages that they think are speaking against the claim we're making seriously. They take them in isolation and are not trying to exegete those passages in a meaningful way. They're just trying to win an argument, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
No, it so, is. And, and I think the problem with looking for answers in that way is actually probably worse than just people happen to not be trained or whatever. I mean, think about how the media takes clips and plays them for us. And we look at something and we're like, oh my goodness, we're outraged, right? And then, you, you know, weeks later or during trial or something like that, you see that the longer video gets played, the part, what was it? About three or four years ago, there was the Native Americans playing in Washington, Lincoln Memorial, I think it was. And there was this video clip of this kid who looked like he was a white supremacist and like everybody, like there was a cut Oh yeah, the, of the, it. The, the, the MAGA kid who was... Yeah, yeah. Smiling. He was wearing a MAGA. He was just yeah. smiling and like you know, a lot of people got it wrong. And all of a sudden you realize that there's more clips and you see more, but the media had to show you just this one thing because they have a way of telling you, here's how you need to think about this particular individual. And we know this happens frequently enough. And sometimes for nefarious reasons, other times it's just they're trying to, you know, cut clips and, you know, they got to you know, make it sound juicy. I mean, they're there to make a profit, whether that's a good thing or not is irrelevant right now. But we're well, trained in that way. And I think, honestly, I think the problem is worse in churches because I think we have preachers who make these loose connections between, or these tenuous connections between this verse and this verse and this verse. And they're like, hey, look, this verse interprets that one and this one interprets that one. And we have to do it this way. And, you know, you've got all these lines drawn and people aren't realizing that like, oh, wow, look at that. Oh, there's a reference. Let me read that. Right. Oh, looks like it supports his view. And it's like, hang on. So I've actually, and I'll, I'm going to bring this around to the diversity at LCI. I actually <laughs> adopted a, <laughs> actually adopted a practice starting back in um, probably October of last year. So we're recording right now. It's almost August. I guess that means it's July still. So it's been almost a year of just literally just listening to the scripture being read and not like, dwelling on one particular passage or whatever and just be like, all right, I'm going to let my brain soak in the narrative. And what I will do is I will not actually just do it for just a couple of minutes. Like I'll put my yeah. headphones on and, you know, last year we were remodeling our house. And so I did a lot of work. And so I put in my AirPods and went to town and I listened through up through Isaiah in the Old Testament in a couple of months. And so getting the broad swaths of scripture really, really helps not yeah. to sort of look for that one single proof text. And so everybody wants to just quote verses back and forth, but... As, that, if, as if you could just yeah. rearrange all the verses in the Bible in random order and it would say the same thing. <laughs> that's a really yeah. good point. That's a really yeah. that's a really interesting point. Or like reorder them in some other fashion. Like I think it's the Quran who, that's longest to shortest and things like that. And it's like, hmm, yeah, this is pretty interesting. And that's why um, I tend to... A little side tangent, but it's why I tend to lean more with the Reformed theological... Not that, again, sometimes they will also do this very thing, but yeah. I, I do find that they more explicitly make efforts to not, like, you know, take, you know, like you said, six different verses across, you know, Old and New Testament and put them in the order that lets them keep their already predetermined conclusion for what they want to yeah. believe. I, I prefer rather the style of, like, you know, at the very least reading a whole chapter through. And even then, sometimes I think with certain books, that's not always wise. Like with Romans, for example, it's not very... Like that book was not written with chapter divisions in it. So it was, yeah. a, it was a whole letter. So and again, it's not always ideal to go and read the whole yep. letter through every time, but I always at least try to go, okay, yeah, you know, I'm on chapter 13. Well, what does chapter 12 say? What does chapter 14 say? And let me at least know where I'm at in the letter as I'm reading this Yeah, but Jacob, book. I only have five minutes of my devotional time and I have to hear God speak to me through just that chapter today. Uh, yes, I know. God, God. Well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to 
push in on that one a little bit because I've actually learned that if you listen to... And I realized not everybody has like Audible subscription like I do, but like it takes literally 15 minutes to listen to... What was it? I listened to? Maybe it was 20 minutes I listened to First Corinthians the other day. And I listened to it like one and a quarter speed, which is plenty depending on the narrator. It's pretty easy to sufficiently read. And people might be thinking, well, what am I really getting? And I'm like, you're reading the scripture. Like what's, you know, I would affirm what you were saying there about the reform people. They are good at that. They take seriously the historical context. They really do try to avoid looking like dispensationalists, making jump around texts, make connections. So I'm not reformed, but I do appreciate that about them is that they try to avoid those things. So there weren't many, there weren't many Christians out there who were good during COVID. I guess at least percentage wise, there were, Probably, you know, just numerically speaking, there were a lot. But I did like, you know, some of the ones I follow, like James White and Jeff Durbin and stuff were pretty good at calling out the authoritarianism. So, yeah, I don't know. I think there's something there to appreciate. And this might be more my libertarian side than anything, but I try not to get too quick to use certain theological labels because then I feel like the danger there is, oh, well, now I'm says and, you know, can't... Again, I want to... I don't want to sure. even bring theological worldviews necessarily too heavy to bear when I'm reading the text. But but yeah, so we were going to talk about the diversity at LCI. So what, yeah, sorry, what, I derailed us there. <laughs> what, what's the, no, it's good, it's good. But what's the different makeup yeah. there? I mean, how yeah. big is that tent? Yeah, so we would call ourselves Pretty Big Tent. The organization, as like the people who like significantly work in it, write articles for it and things like that, we're all Protestant, but we are not anti-Catholic. We partner with Catholics when it seems appropriate for things, we kind of just go with the Nicene Creed, like the traditional historic creeds as our sort of like, if you confess these things without reservation, then you're within our tent. A lot of people know what that who that excludes in terms of denominations who want to also carry the label Christian or religions, however you want to put it, people groups or religious groups who call themselves Christians. So we have that big of a tent, which I think is pretty big. At least it's, it seems big to me because I grew up where I wasn't allowed to let anybody in our tent <laughs> as, a, as a, like yeah. a conservative fundamentalist Baptist or whatever. So it feels pretty big tent to me and we can work with a lot. So the actual diversity in our staff, Norman is a Church of Christ kid, as he calls himself. He grew up in the Churches of Christ, the Stone Campbell movement, which I'm going to not do a really good job of representing where he came from in his tradition, but their tradition is actually fairly anti-state government and very pro-civil governance. So David Lipscomb is a major figure in that. He wrote a book on civil government. Maybe that's another topic you can have with Norman, but there are a number of really good traditions there. In fact, LCI is actually has a project underway that we are sort of revitalizing and re- What's, I don't want to say resurrecting. It sounds terrible, but it just seems like that should be reserved for one thing. Um, but <laughs> we are bringing back to life. <laughs> I can't, can't avoid it, right? Resuscitating. Uh, you know, resuscitating. There we go. Texts that are like 120 years old that were that are still preserved in certain ways from that movement. You know, people okay. in the Civil War actually, you know, writing against it, yeah. pastors writing against it and things like that. Because there's a lot to, of really good to be preserved. So Carrie, you've had her on your show. And so she's reformed Calvinist. I actually don't know what Aaron is. Matthew is reformed. I am not reformed. I would say I'm somewhere along the lines of like Anabaptist. And if Anabaptist could just really get real liturgy going, I'd probably want to go to an Anabaptist church. But I actually go to an evangelical free church, which is probably like, it's like if you like had different colors of the spectrum in in evangelicalism and you like, blended them all together, that's what you're going to get with us. 
It's not really a denomination, but it, as a denomination in a way, it's got a lot of variety. There's going to be churches in the E3 church that are like more Calvinist, some that are more Arminian, some that are sort of like, hey, everybody here is welcome. So that's where I am. And then we have actually some people on our board who are thinking about and exploring Eastern Orthodoxy. So we have a lot of, we have a lot of diversity. No, it's cool. And I, it's tough because like I, yeah, I'm, in, like I'm a little, I'm a little bit all over the place myself. So I tend to, <laughs> I try to get along with everybody. I have some hard pushbacks against maybe certain groups based on certain theological positions they hold. Sure. I have a lot of Calvinist reformed brothers and sisters, like I have, like Carrie, like you mentioned, and Greg Baus and others who come from that camp. And then I've also had a lot of Catholics who watch the show or who have come on my show and had good conversations with them. I've actually, through this podcast and through kind of exploring the world of, you know, Christian libertarianism, I've come to have more of an appreciation for Catholicism. I grew up in a very uh, sort of like anti-Catholic fundamentalist church. So um, there's still certain things about Catholicism that I wouldn't necessarily uh, agree with, but, but I find that there's a lot of misconceptions that I had. And I think the effort to try to make the church and to make Christians more aware of what the state is and to think more critically about you know, what we talk about as libertarians, you know, what is the legitimate use of force? It's like, I I don't want to limit who I talk to by, you know, making too harsh of, you know, certain theological stance, yeah. both, personally, both yeah. personally and with the podcast. So it's, I might have certain disagreements with certain people, but I, I also try to keep an open mind so I can understand where they're coming from and which makes it, you know, easier to have a conversation with them and, and you know, yeah if you know what presuppositions and what theological positions that they held, uh, there's a protester in the comments saying that you're not a true libertarian, which means... Yeah, thanks, Aaron. It's the only... uh, This is a guy who reports to me, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're only a true libertarian if you are online making sure everyone else knows that they're not a real libertarian. (laughs) And probably, I think at this point, you need to have at least... You need to have a podcast or you're not a real libertarian. That's yeah. the way things are going too. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're still figuring out a way that Aaron can get his own podcast, but as of now, we won't let him. So he <laughs> so there you go, Aaron. <laughs> so what yeah, I had you, um... a comment on that. Um I was thinking, oh yeah, you were talking about like a way to promote liberty by showing the falls of the state and you know to any number of types of Christians. And I think that's one of the challenges that the Libertarian Christian Institute actually has because you know when we make an argument in favor or against the state in a certain way, sometimes people, other Christians aren't going to really like how we made that argument because it's like, well, wait a second, you're saying this, but that's not the way to interpret that passage or that's not the takeaway from that passage or, or that's not what Jesus meant or, you know, what about this and what about that? And it's like, you can make a better case for liberty by doing this, even though, you know, the person who might have written that passage article or, or episode or whatever might sort of approach it from a different standpoint. So, you know, we don't want to alienate people. So sometimes by being broad, we sort of like don't attract the people who are like, no, there's only one way to teach liberty from the Bible. Right. Yeah. No, and that's definitely a challenge because I mean, I do have some, there, there are certain things that I have a very strong opinion about, but I try to do my best to, if someone has, like, for example, like when you brought up David uh, Lipscomb, I remember my uh, friend Stephen Rose from uh, the Anarcho-Christian podcast 
we have a completely different reading of Romans 13, for example. And he cites David and his writings on civil governance in Romans 13. And that's kind of the position he takes. And I have a completely different (laughs) take on it. And probably like three or four times a year, we'll, we'll end up because like, people will tag us in Twitter threads or Facebook posts and they'll be like, mm-hmm. someone will ask, how do you handle Romans 13? And then someone tags him and someone tags me. And then it's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then we're back at it again. But it's like, you know what? If people are persuaded by his argument and not mine, hey, that's like, that's not the way I take the text. And like, there's part All of... All roads lead to, against Rome. Lead away right, exactly. Rome. It's like, listen, if, if, <laughs> if, if, if we are able to agree at the very least that... Romans 13 is not preaching that, you know, the state and initiating violence against peaceful people is what God wants us to do as Christians. Okay, that's the most important bit. And I think that's what I try to focus on. And outside of that, then, you know, if we have different opinions on, you know, whether it's anarchy or minarchy, or if it's how we deal with different passages and whatnot, like there's, you know, the church as a whole there's no unity, which is why we have so many different denominations and groupings and stuff. You know, I guess it's just inevitable that Christian libertarianism is going to, you know, there's going to be, you know, hopefully a core to it that's consistent, right? Just like you hope the core to most of the mainstream Christian denominations is the gospel. And we hope for the most part to not stray too far from that. But then, you know, if we have disagreements around the edges, whether, you know, it's baptism or the communion in the Eucharist or hierarchical structures of church and things like that, or if it's, or similar, you know, things in the Christian libertarian sphere. I think it's more important to get people to consider those philosophical presuppositions about the use of force and about what the state is than it is to, you know, everyone has to read this exact passage the way I do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I completely agree. And I honestly, I think when I became a libertarian, it was probably in, I mean, let's see, try to think about the timing here. Yeah, I was in seminary. And so I was doing study of the scripture and I wasn't, I don't know if I was really trying to integrate the two. I just knew that as I was learning about liberty and freedom and economics and that philosophy, that it didn't seem incoherent with what I was learning in seminary. And I actually went to a seminary. Those, I wouldn't say they're left-leaning, but they weren't. They definitely weren't right-leaning and they definitely weren't libertarian. So they would probably lean toward a more social justice-minded way of reading scripture and doing church, right? And so that's, you know, my personal story a little bit in that I was thinking, hmm, this sounds really good, but uh, something doesn't seem right. And learning about, you know, the philosophy of libertarianism, I think that, um, boy, I think I lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, I know what it was. The core. You're talking about the core. So here's the core for Christianity and libertarianism is Jesus is Lord. If any particular denomination, church, or whatever is going to proclaim anything, they're going to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. It does mean that. That's not really what it meant in the first century. What it meant was Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is God incarnate and that God is sovereign and Christ is king and I don't have allegiance to Caesar. Well, that's pretty politically subversive. Well, immediately, if you just understand that basic thing, you have to question some of the other things out there about the way you might read Romans 13 or the way you might read 2 Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2. Um, Like you've studied like the historical significance of like, why did the Pharisees 
or what, why did why were there the different passages talking yeah. about tax collectors and and casting tax collectors in the same light as like prostitutes and yeah and adulterers and it's funny know, the left the really wants sinners. to hate, really wants to defend people who are like really deep sinners but when it comes to tax collectors are cheering them on <laughs> right yeah so it's funny it's like people don't there's so much historical context when you go back and look and yeah the Jewish people when they're living under Caesar, they viewed Caesar as a false god and an idol. And it was to go and proclaim Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your king back then, you know, that that, that had very serious implications. And as we can see, because yeah. that's why the Roman Empire was, you know, persecuting Christians so heavily in the first couple centuries because they were... Yeah, it was a political threat. Anybody yeah. that tells you that Jesus wasn't political or that following Jesus isn't political doesn't understand, first of all, the yeah, first century Yeah, that's the pushback you get sometimes too, isn't it? Like, just like, oh, well, you know, we just shouldn't care about politics. You know, we should just care yeah. about the gospel and just go out and evangelize. I get that sometimes from just regular yeah. evangelicals. And I've also seen, like, you know, people within the liberty sphere who, you know, the ones who kind of call themselves the post-libertarians or the practicians yeah, or yeah. what they call, and they're like, oh, well, just give up on libertarian philosophy and just, you know, Everything that is true about libertarianism is found in Christianity. So just focus on making everyone Christians. It's like, well, that that sounds good in theory, except there's a lot of Christians who are, you know, out there advocating for very violent forms of authoritarianism and yeah, statism. Yeah. So it seems to me that to make it as simple as possible, if, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor and my enemy and God, okay, well my views on politics and the state like inevitably need to be reconciled. Like I need to have a position on them because, you know, the government and politics, like those are my neighbors and sometimes my enemies. And I need to have a biblically informed view of, you know, what these systems and what the people acting yeah, within these systems yeah, are doing. And that should be yeah. informed by trying to reconcile the teachings that God gave us and that Jesus gave us and the example he gave us, I think, and to reconcile, especially with, you know, is this loving my neighbor? And is this loving God? And if at any point we're advocating for actions that seem to be in conflict with loving God and loving our neighbor, then we need to at least be willing to think critically about those things. Yeah. For a little while, I was getting tutored in New Testament Greek. And the guy who tutored me is very much about social justice. And I said something about economics. And this was about it was about seven years ago, I guess. And he was like, oh, I don't want to learn economics. And I, I said to him, I said, if you really care about social justice, you will learn some economics because it's going to tell you the limitations of what you're able to do. And, you know, you're not going to... You should know You're not going to really find that in the scripture anyway. But yeah. But yeah. But the, you, so you by, finally, forever. years later, he actually started <laughs> learning economics and he's now an Austrian. So yeah. Good. Now, if you care, I mean, anything you care about, it can be connected because, I mean, especially, you know, if you have the Misesian view that economics is just human action. I mean, just, I mean, yeah. pretty much everything has a economy or an economic angle or mode of analysis that can be applied to it. Again, like, I don't think the Bible is a document that strictly talks about economics, but I do think there are principles in there that speak to certain, you know, economic presuppositions that, yeah. that we have to contend with. So, well, I mean, if the Bible is going to be if the Bible is going to be speaking truth and it touches on anything economics, what it's going to say is going to be truth, right? So right. It's, you're going to have that overlap, and it's going to you know 
I guess de facto be true. Your question about like why do people care too much about like like there's those Christians who don't care about politics and what they really mean is like the political apparatus of the state or whatever. You said that you were reading or you have read our book Faith Seeking Freedom. Yeah. Um, I've got a copy of it here and this is literally the first chapter. Why should I care about politics? Right. Question yeah. number one, politics isn't a gospel issue, so why should I be concerned about politics? Question two, Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world. Isn't political engagement being concerned with this world? Politics seems to be like a distraction from the real mission of the church. First three questions, like literally in, I guess it would be about 650 words total in those three questions. We would answer that with basically saying, actually, Jesus was political. Therefore, you should be too. Now, being political, like if you don't vote, that's being political, right? Right. If, you're, Even being if you live in Australia, if you live in Australia and you're... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything you do is political because it has to do with your behaviors affect the world around you and the, your society. And in the sort of broad definition of the word political, as in like it affects things, you are acting political in all kinds of ways. Now, I don't want to dilute that and say, well, it doesn't matter then. But like anything you do that is in relationship to the state is going to be political. Like if you live in Australia and you decide not to vote and incur a fine for not voting, you are possibly living out your Christian faith by saying, I don't want to participate in this. I don't know how it all works in Australia. I'm just picking that at random. There are ways in which you can reject what the state asks you to do. And that's going to depend on the time and place of different people. So, yeah, there's just a lot of people who think that being engaged in politics means that we have to talk about policy, means that we have to talk about like how should somebody vote? How should the people we vote for vote when bills come up? How should the president, what should the president sign? What should he veto? All those different things are what we think of as politics when in reality, anything in relationship to the state or even local governments uh, right. is politics in some way. So if you don't show up to your local school board meeting or if you don't show up to something that you have a say in, like let's say there's some sort of like special hearing about the way the land's going to be rezoned in your district. Showing up and not showing up is doing politics. And there is a way in which you can influence people that is non-coercive. And then there's ways that you can participate that, that are coercive. And what we see from the right and the left in a lot of ways is that they think that when they get in politics, all the morality of and ethics just kind of go out the window. It's like, oh, well, we're doing it for the common good or, oh, this is endorsed by the people and I'm doing it through the mechanism that is endorsed by the people and therefore it's okay and not actually violent when it's actually just not the case. Like, you take that veneer of authority away and you realize the state doesn't have any authority that people have really given it and it often acts in contrary to the will of God and to God's people and it just kind of unravels from there. Well, one of the things that I like to bring up, and this was actually something I tagged LCI in today. No, it was yes. No, we were, I was tagged in a post by a Catholic friend of mine, and I think LCI was too. And it was a question about egalitarianism and if there was a better word for that, because that's kind of a word that, you know, has maybe leftist or Marxist y. It's got a lot uh, of baggage to it. Yeah. There's a lot of baggage to it. And if there was a better way to express the idea that, like, there's some sort of, equality among people because we're all image bearers of God. And I thought about that. Like I read that and I didn't answer right away. I kind of thought about it throughout the day because I was like trying to chew on that a little bit because I was like, I don't know if I can think of a better word other than, you know, equality. And I, I have an aversion to those words. You know what I mean? I actually, one of my favorite pieces by Rothbard is that like egalitarianism is a revolt against nature. Yeah. And, um, 
I thought about it a bit more critically and I said, you know, part of this is semantics. And I remember, you know, one of the things I talk about in my podcast, and I think I've heard Carrie and other people, you know, talk about it too, is that there are terms that I think have a good and godly biblically based meaning and even foundation. Mm-hmm. And these terms are often hijacked by the powers of this world and twisted and distorted in a sinful way to where then they get these negative connotations to it. And like sort of like the word authority, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people, you know, yeah. libertarians, broadly speaking, will, you know, find the idea of authority to be repulsive and antithetical to libertarianism. And then Christians will rightfully maybe push back against libertarianism if they have a simple, you know, not fully informed idea of what it is because they go, oh, well, Christians can't be libertarians because, you know, we have to respect authority and, you know, God is an authority. And some Christians who are libertarians then kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, we just reject all authority. And I was like, well, hold on. No, that the Bible definitely, I think, has a high view of authority, but we can't define... Like if the Bible says, if God is speaking to us through the word and it tells us to respect or submit to something, we have to do it in the context of how God is defining that term, not how the world defines it. Right. Yep. So if the world defines authority as using coercion and threats of violence to conform people's will to your, your own, I don't think that's a biblical definition of authority. That's not, and it's definitely not the model of what authority and leadership is that Jesus gave us. You know, Jesus gave us almost the exact opposite when he washed his apostles' feet and he said, this is, this is how you lead is that you're supposed to be a servant. And so there's so many examples of this. And I think this is like fundamentally the uphill battle that we have to fight is almost a, a, it is somewhat about principles and educating people on maybe the nature of the state and maybe, you know, more plausible interpretations of certain scriptures and thinking critically about, you know, sort of like the libertarian axioms and questions about like, oh, well, you know, would you use violence against me if I had a certain piece of plant in my pocket? And if you wouldn't, why would you advocate for somebody with a badge to do it? You know, like, you know, those things are important, but sometimes I think, Equally important, at least, is we need to be pushing back. And I think Christians should especially be compelled by this, is that we should be pushing back against any secular or worldly institution that's seeking to redefine concepts and terms that God has talked about and to distort their godly biblical meaning. Yeah, yep. And yep. I think that, that, that can apply to authority, that can apply to even something like equality, because I think there is an argument to be made that Christianity preaches a message of equality in a sense, but it's an equality that stems from, you know, the fact that we are image bearers of God and and that all are one in Christ, not that we are all owed, you know, some sort of equal access to resources or, you know, certain positive privileges and obligations and and things like that. So it's, I don't know, what what, what do you think about that? I mean, is, do you have any commentary you want to add on to that? Yeah. Well, the, Semantic argument is pretty strong in my mind that you have trouble using a word that actually has good meaning. Like the neutral form of the word is actually, you know, fine. The founders of the United States, writers of the Constitution, Declaration, like all men are created equal, right? And 
that's the kind of egalitarianism that you and I would probably, you know, espouse is that people are created equal and that it doesn't matter. I realize the founders probably thought slightly different and that's up for debate, I guess. But like, it doesn't matter your skin color, your race, your orientation, your, you know, where you were, like how bad of a sinner you are. Right. So like, there's just so many reasons we can just be like, look, we're all people. We're all equal in that regard. But you're right. The people who want to say we are equal want to make that mean more than what it really does. And for me, the idea of being equal means I have to constantly say to myself, whatever judgments I have against somebody or whatever judgments I have about people, those need to sort of take a backseat to my interactions with the person or my knowledge of them as it grows and as they get a better context. So when I treat somebody a certain way, I'm not treating them as my equal. I mean, I'm a sinner, right? And I'm unable to, in some ways, to sort of see people the way Jesus saw people as genuine human beings equal, right? Equal to me, Doug, not Jesus. And it's uh, just making sure I said that clearly. Could have come out the wrong way. But that in that human form, there's that equality. So like, I have to submit myself to looking at people through the eyes of Jesus. And in some ways, you might even say the Christians go even further. And like, we ask other people to treat each other as equals, but we think of ourselves as lesser than others and in sort of a, a mm. an appropriate humility. And so there's a lot to be said for the word equality, but you are right that like, when people talk about equality, that's been codified in our modern lexicon as equality of outcome. The terms are now shifting a little bit more toward equity. When you talk about you know, critical race theorists and Marxists, they are going to be talking more about equity. I think they might have realized they've lost the equality game because they can't really truly hijack that word completely. But I think egalitarianism, non-biblical egalitarianism, like extra-biblical egalitarian, like social egalitarianism, I think is fine from a legal judgment perspective and things like that. I don't think that if you believe all people are equal, that you're saying they have equal input in an economy. And I think that's where a lot of people on the left sort of think that libertarians and conservatives see people who are lower skilled as being lesser than. And I do believe that there is a sense in which human beings look at others and say, wow, you don't produce much. And you just must be lazy or you just must be stupid or you just must not have skills or you might be ignorant or, you know, backward or whatever, and you don't produce much. And therefore I don't see you as highly in it. And I think that's a legit criticism because there are people like that. That's not what people mean when we talk about like, when we deal with economics, we talk about specialization or as I was listening in my, you know, listening to the scriptures, you know, that we're all different parts of one body, right? Like, and I realize that that's applying to the church, but I mean, there's a clear analogy to human beings. It's like, not everybody can do what Jeff Bezos does. And Jeff Bezos might be able to do things, a lot of things that other people do, but they're going to do it better because there's more of them. And you're going to have comparative advantage and specialization. There's going to be a ton of economic principles that we can pull out and make that analogy. But that doesn't mean we're not equal. And it also doesn't mean that those people are lesser than Jeff Bezos. Like, Jeff Bezos is you know, to use him or Elon Musk or any of these billionaires, they are equal to, you know, the person who fills up my gas tank when I drive to New Jersey because I can't fill it up myself, right? So, like, that's not even, like, low-skilled labor. That's actually just, you know, whatever. So, like, they're equal in the eyes of God and they should be equal to me and I should treat them as equals. I should not bow down to Elon Musk just because he's good at Twitter, right? Or just because he's good at building businesses that make him billions and 
makes a lot of us better off because everybody who's doing a functional service to other people in the market are making each other better off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that I definitely recommend anybody who hasn't pick up Faith Seeking Freedom because it's definitely a good book. If you're curious about learning more about the uh, you know Christian intersection with libertarian political philosophy, and I thought I was pretty well learned on those things, but I even found some stuff in there I hadn't considered before. Like I, I was, had my mind blowed the section about property rights and led me to the, uh, I think it's Matthew, it's Matthew 20 or Matthew 15. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that just blew me away. I actually did a podcast on it after I read that because I was just like, I was like, wow, this is almost like Jesus through a parable teaching what then later the Austrians, the Austrian economists sort of pointed out yeah. to that value is subjective and based upon what two or more people agree to in exchange. It's not like, not the labor theory of value. It's not the inherent value theory or anything like that. It's that like, you know, hey, if you agree to do something for X amount of, you know, if you agree to do X for Y, then, you know, that is voluntary human interaction. And that's what's just in the interaction. But if somebody else agrees to do X for Y plus Z, well, you're not owed the Z because you didn't, you know, yeah. you, you didn't agree to that ahead of time, which is that's what's talked about in that parable. And like, there's so many things like that when you dive into the scriptures that really push into it. So it's a, it's too much to get to in all one podcast, but yeah, it, it's certainly yeah. something that, you know, an ongoing journey of learning more and, you know, deepening our, deepening our study of the scriptures, both to, I think, strengthen our, you know, relationship with God. And I think that's, you know, should be probably the emphasis or at least, you know, high, high up there. But to me, I view, again, to go back, I think the reason I make such a strong emphasis, and I think you do too, on connecting these two things is because I view libertarianism as one of the best tools we have, one of, you know, both from a, you know, political and philosophical perspective for living out loving our neighbor. Like, like, mm-hmm. like if we don't yeah. have this component down, we don't yeah. have these conversations about the state and violence and economics and, and all that, then we're going to fall short of what we otherwise yeah. could do, I think, in that pursuit. So I think yeah. that's where I land on on all that. Yeah, well, and a comment I have about that is, that is one of the reasons why I realized that understanding economics really, really helped because it's a way in which you can get some, a lot of granular data on how you can and cannot love your neighbor. And what are those yeah. limits? And so I'll give you an example. Is So it's an extra biblical discipline, right? It's an extra biblical soft science, if you will. You have a lot of people on the left who are very interested in ecological health. They are very much concerned that we are destroying our planet. And leave that aside. Let's say that even if we're not, even if we are, it doesn't matter. It is important that Christians take proper care of the environment that we live in, right? whether it's for human flourishing, whether it's for just for its own sake, whether it's for our own, whatever you want to come up with, right? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly how. We've had to use right. we've had to use yeah. the sciences to help us understand that we can destroy ecosystems without knowing it and that we can pollute rivers that have adverse effects on others and that even with like global warming or climate change it's like, well, okay, fine. You can tell me that all this is happening, but it's like that Part of it is not saying, here's how we should, I should say it this way, that fact, whether they're right or wrong about like catastrophic climate change, I don't think they're, I don't think the catastrophe, they're catastrophizing is what I think, is sort of irrelevant. But the point is, 
they had to go to the sciences to say, here's how we take care of the environment because we learn from these. Like the scripture doesn't tell us all those details, but they're really, really reticent to go to economics to understand that there's this thing called scarcity. They realize that there's limits to what we could do in nature and they're all about making sure that we know about them. But when they tell someone that printing money is not really making us wealthy, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You're just spouting hyper right wing billionaires and oil are scarce, but the American dollar bill (laughs) is infinite. (laughs) Yes, that is exactly right. And uh, now we're back to the left being cheerleaders for the state. You know, it used to be that they were just kind of happy go alongs, but now they're just they're cheerleaders who sleep with the team, team empire. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, no. I'll leave that one there. Yeah, no, I, I, I could. I was brought up, and I think I talked about this a little bit when I was on your show the last time. But I was brought up in a conservative home, but I kind of spent most of my youth, like sixteen to like twenty three, twenty four, being on the political left. So I go after them hard, and then it's often like I'm going after my past self, and I can criticize them accurately though, because I like I I know what you guys believe. Believe me, I used to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, so- I didn't have a, a past where it was sort of abusive, as I've heard a lot of Christians growing up in similar traditions that I was in. Like some of the like the really egregious stuff that I read about, I was like, that was not in my environment. So. I didn't have anything horrible. I mean, I, I was a pastor's kid, so I think it's just, I, you know, it's sort of a rite of passage to <laughs> rebel against the... <laughs> Things that your parents teach you, I guess. You're predestined uh-huh. to do it. Yes, that was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so wrapping up here, you know, we kind of went into what LCI is and explored a little bit into the connection there that, that you guys see and that we see and that you guys talk about in, in your book and the stuff you do. What other things at the end here, just wanted to talk about quick, does LCI do? Anything you want to promote or plug? Yeah. Projects or ways, you know, people can get involved and support the different endeavors that that you're all doing. Yeah. So one of our main products is this book that I've been holding up every now and that we were talking about a little bit, Faith Seeking Freedom. You can get it at faithseekingfreedom.com. If you purchase it from us, we get a little bit better profit margin on it than if you order it off Amazon, but ordering it off Amazon is great. You can write a review, all that. Um, Read it however you want. Just explore your... (laughs) Well, I don't know about modern agreements on that. But I just recently read that someone was like, yeah, if you publish with Amazon, you're not allowed to sell it elsewhere. But when we did the agreement, I double checked into it and we were able to. So Hmm. um, the other benefit you get by ordering it directly from LCI is that you get a fancy bookmark that I made for it that we have. And so so you you get that. And in any case, you can also... Yeah, and you can buy in bulk on our website as well. So libertarianchristians.com or you can go to faithseekingfreedom.com. So that's one thing that we have. It's, it's one of the most recent ones. We, it was published in late 2020. We all had time to write from home in 2020. So we got a book out. But no, actually, it took longer than that. But that's the one thing we do. I have a podcast, the Libertarian Christian Podcast. We have a YouTube show called Good News, Bad News. We are actually very soon shifting what that format is. So if those of you who want to subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can do that on at YouTube. We're, of course, on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We have a group on Facebook that is a group of over 10,000 libertarian Christians. Some of them may be in name only. And some of them are just there to troll us and be agitators and, and so forth. But in any case, yeah, so we do all those kinds of things. We are a nonprofit. And so what we do depends on people giving to us tax-free donations. We rely on our supporters and 
the sales of our book. So purchasing a book and also donating is, is really good ways to help. And in addition to the things that I mentioned, we put out articles every week that are written from a libertarian Christian perspective. And they are either you know original guest articles or some from our staff. You know, we'll even do write-ups on like the fact that I did this interview and just to kind of promote the broader libertarian Christian movement and Christian anarchists who are promoting the right things. Cool. And then I saw um, you guys have a, uh, speaking of diversity, a Latinx version of uh, Libertarian Christian Institute now. Or um, they use the left term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny to me <laughs> that I, people pronounce it differently. And, and I think you got it right. But I'm white, so what do I know? Aaron was on this call, so maybe he, or on the chat there, so maybe he can chime in and tell us how you said it. But yeah, so Aaron Sepulveda, he is the, how should I put it? He is our, our Spanish wing of the Libertarian Inst- Christian Institute. <laughs> and um, Facing Freedom is going to come to Spanish sometime this year. They uh, had a whole... Because Aaron, uh, because Aaron reports to me and that's what I'm telling him. Yeah. Um, it was, was going to come out this year. It was Aaron and... Uh, I forget her name, but one of the... Probably um, Olivia. Yeah, it was Olivia. And they got into an argument with some Spanish-speaking atheists on my wall. And uh, oh, thank, thank God for Google Translate because I don't speak Spanish. But I That's actually funny. like I like I, I think you know just broadly speaking for Christians and libertarians, like we need people who speak Spanish to be you know out there doing that kind of work. And honestly, I, I kind of feel convicted to go learn it myself because there's a lot of people that that's their native tongue, and you're gonna have a probably need yeah. your time having convincing, persuasive conversations with them if you can. Yeah. Well, you uh, should you should have Aaron on. You should have Aaron on to talk about this because it's, I think there's a lot more there than people actually realize. You know, we Americans are very American centric in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's sad on the one hand. On the other hand, it it also means that when we do partner with people and go to other regions of the world, that it has to be done by the people who are is the word indigenous the right word uh, are native to that area and or speak the language and familiar with it like the last thing we need is more american colonizers going and saying here's how you be libertarian in your country like let's let people who know how to do this and can bridge the gap between you know what we have and what they see as valuable so aaron is doing an excellent job building the twitter and i guess maybe instagram i can't remember and also maybe facebook groups i don't know what all he's up to he's up to a lot and it's he's doing very well yeah, Aaron's all over the place. So he's, he's everywhere. Work. Yes. Except late for our breakout session at Freedom Fest. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, Doug, thanks for coming on. Pleasure to have you on and we'll definitely do it again sometime. And yeah, definitely everyone check them out, support them. At the very least, purchase the book, you know, or a couple, one for you, one to maybe give to a friend because it's a very good, easy. We even have a group study guide. That you can so if you buy the pack the the multi pack I mean the study guide's free for anybody but you buy the multi pack you do the small group study just saying that sounds pretty good and you get a bookmark too if you get it on the website so I'll give you each a bookmark get it on the website cool all right well thanks everybody for watching thanks again Doug for coming on and until next time remember don't fear the fire thank you thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.